happy Thursday. Welcome to NSN Daily. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, and start off the show with a slugger, Kevin Crone of the Reno Aces, and we hope very, very soon, the Arizona Diamondbacks once again. Uh, Kevin joining us. Uh, Kevin, tell people, where are you hunkered down, and how have you been getting through what we're all trying to get through? Yeah, my, my wife and I are out in uh, Scottsdale. We bought a house here last uh, last September, so we, um, we've been out here all the time. It's starting to get really hot, so we're getting to finally use the pool and, and kind of feel that, that Arizona heat that we've, uh, that I've, I've been away from for six years now, but, but this is her first taste. So we're just, uh, we're getting through and we're, we're just hanging out trying to stay inside. You guys are down there for spring training and then everything kind of fell apart. Just take us through when you kind of realized how big of a deal this was and how it would impact your guys' season. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a huge sports fan, so I, I've, I've always seen how the sports kind of intertwine with one another. And as soon as the NBA shut everything down when, when uh, Rudy Gobert got sick, um, I, I think, you know, there were some texts we had floated around between me and a couple of my teammates just about how this could impact us. And um, I think we all saw that writing on the wall once that started to happen. And, um, you know, after that, it was kind of just, you know, snap, 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 and everything's, everything's done. Um, you know, and then a week later after that, we're – we're, we're kind of kept from the facilities and, um, you know, it happened really fast, but um, I think it happened like that for everybody. So um, that's the big thing is that, you know, we're no different than anybody else with their job and everything else just happened, happened really quick. And we're just trying to get through it. Kevin, uh, you told us before you came on that you've been working out with Tim LaCastro. He's like kind of a home gym stuff. We had him on, I think it was two weeks ago. And I asked him about the fact that he's rated at number 99 in speed in MLB the show. Is that legit? Like, should he actually be 99? Uh, I've never seen someone with as much game speed as him, for sure. Um, it's, does, it's not – I will say it's not the prettiest, like, like running form, like when you watch a track star. But, like, those guys that are like that – I know another guy that played in Reno last year, Ben Deluzio, was another guy that everybody used to say who would win in a race. And I think the longer the race gets, the more favor it would get for Ben, like a straight-line race. But – baseball speed it's not close I've never seen someone go like first to third or second to home like Tim does and I'd say that's probably that's probably legit but I would never probably say that to his face <laughs> all right you're putting together a Reno Aces flag football team since we're getting on this topic I mean you got to get Matt Caesar out there I mean Caesar was all everything in the Ivy League as a receiver yeah no brainer I'd say Caesar would be he would he would kind of have to keep us all and all figured out because I don't think any of us are nearly on his level when it comes to football. But I'd say I'd say he I'd say him and Timmy would make a pretty dynamic combo uh, on the outside for sure. Who's your quarterback then? Me, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> I, I apologize. Quarterback, quarterback is the least amount of running for me, so I, I don't have to do that. No, I'd be on the line somewhere. Quarterback. Gosh, dang. Um, someone really athletic in a pitcher, probably. Someone like Shipley. Someone who's just yeah, I was thinking athletic. Shipley. Probably the most athletic pitcher. I'd, I'd probably say him. I don't know if you could get him off the golf course, though. I think he'd be on the golf course all the time. Uh, did you or your brother play football growing up? I mean, obviously, you guys are huge guys. Yeah, I played one year. Um, I was too soft. <laughs> I was I was on the offensive line. Obviously, I was a big kid a freshman year of football. Um, I just a it was I was a center, so it was boring always in practice, just snapping a ball and, and hitting a pad all the time. So I was 
I wasn't really – I was more uh, – I liked football because of the skill positions, and I was too big to play any of them. So that was another reason. But I got hurt a couple of times, and I kind of knew my future was in baseball. So I, I figured um, not jeopardize it. And, and being in Arizona where you can play baseball year-round, kind of kind of focus on that once I, once I saw that was a, a real possibility. Kevin, you had such an incredible year last year, over 40 home runs between the minor leagues and, and Major League Baseball. I got to make your Major League debut uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. As you've had a couple months now to kind of get back away from last year and, and kind of let that set, sink in, I mean, just, just take me through that journey of just how incredible last year was for you personally. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, I always joke around saying that you know, I might I, – I'm, I'm very confident in myself and I know that uh, – I think I'll be able to, you know, put together seasons like that again and again and again. But when it comes down to it, um, you know, I, that that could have been the best season that you know, I've ever had and I ever will have. Just strictly, you know, logically speaking, it was just it was one of those years where everything just kind of came together. And I think that's what made it special for me was um, it was the fruits of, of three, four years of work on on specific things in my game that needed to improve. You know, I've always had the power. I've always had a, had a pretty decent swing. It's just, you know, the culmination of, of, of the plan and the approach and, and not swinging at bad pitches and, 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 you know, kind of understanding the game a little bit more and, and year by year that finally come together. Um, you know, it's gotten better each and every year. So that's, that's something that I was really passionate about since, you know, my, I think my, my first year in double is when it all kind of started to formulate in my head. And um, anytime you can kind of build this system that you, that you, you know, I, I was at I was at the lowest of lows after my first year in double. I think I hit like 220, um, still had the home runs and whatever, but I just wasn't really in a good spot. I never felt like I was uh, a big threat. And, um, you know, everything from that point forward, I said, if I'm going to if I'm going to fail, I want to go down doing it, doing it one way or doing it my way. And um, that's when the process of kind of formulating this this hitter that I wanted to become who, who, who it was and, and how I was going to go about doing it. And, um, you know, comfortable failing from that position, whether it be a smaller set of failures, like a week long slump or, or, you know, a career, career failure where my career's over. I, I knew that that was the way that I wanted to go down and the way that um, I could live with myself. And, and it turns out it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Ride or die, baby. Kevin right. Gronslugger with the Arizona Diamondbacks organization joining us here on NSN Daily. You know, Kevin, with what's going on in our world, we've been able to get to know and talk to a ton of athletes and, and how they're getting through this, uh, whether they're single athletes, married like you are. I mean, wives don't get to see their husbands a whole lot during a baseball season. Now we're all cooped up and underneath the roof. We're finding out who's a chef, who is a sommelier, <laughs> who is a movie buff. Uh, how have you been getting through this personally uh, when, you know, you're, you're inside a lot, you're cooped up? Yeah, I was I was joking with my wife about that actually um, that we we don't know how to be married in the summer because we've <laughs> never had it we've never had a summer together you know right. we met in college and I was playing baseball in the summers still and um, and even now to this day like like for instance when we had Easter a few weeks ago and everybody's asking what we're doing for Easter and I was like well I've never had I've never had an Easter before so we didn't really have it was cool to be able to develop some traditions for stuff like that. And, um, it's been cool to kind of have a summer and enjoy it with, with her uh, in a way that we haven't been able to before, you know, go outside by the pool and, and especially being our first home together, um, kind of learning how to, how to go navigate a, an Arizona summer together has been pretty cool. But we've definitely been branching out. Um, you know, we're looking up different recipes. We're cooking a lot, uh, things that we've never tried. Back before this all started, 
cooking for us was throwing some chicken and some vegetables in the oven and, and calling it a day. And, um, you know, now we're, you know, she's, she's ordering stuff from all over the place, trying to figure out new recipes and it's been, it's been really fun. So definitely doing a little bit of that. And then, um, for me, you know, the, the off, this is basically like the off season and, and I, I, there's nothing I'm better at than, than performing a good off season and playing a bunch of golf and watching a bunch of shows, playing a bunch of video games. Um, I keep myself busy. I'm, I'm a, I'm kind of nerdy when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'll read a book and then play four hours of video games with the best of them. So um, I'm surviving and hopefully, hopefully some of the new stuff is helping her get by um, a little bit easier. Who was the best video game player on the Aces? I know Wyatt Matheson, we were talking with him last week. He said he plays six hours a day. So that, that might yeah, be. Yeah, he's, he's definitely, perfect. relatively speaking, I'd say he's probably the best that I know of. I play with him quite a bit as well. Um, he was really good at Fortnite. Like, like really good like to the point where I didn't have to see anybody else on the team play and I feel like I knew he was the best at it but um yeah I mean he's he's probably the best but there's quite a few of them that like to play it I know Brady likes to play I think Brady plays uh what does he play what's that old game called that um it's on the computer it's like Dungeons and Dragons it's a super nerd game that he loves <laughs> wow. I'm not quite on his level but he's uh yeah, he's 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 a gamer too for sure. But I'd say Wyatt in the in the in the games that I play, like first person shooter, I'd say Wyatt's probably the best. And I, I would again never say that to his face. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, uh, before we let you go, uh, we're running some games from last year, uh, some kind of Aces classic games. You had multiple games where you hit uh, three home runs in a game. There's the the comeback where you guys scored nine runs in the ninth inning. When you look back at last year and just the way that you guys were able to perform on the field offensively. What kind of stands out about some of the memories you have from last year? Yeah, I saw the, the Instagram post you guys uh, – the, the Aces made about um, you know, Applin's walk-off grand slam and that nine-run comeback. That's That's got to be my favorite, like, inning of baseball that I've ever played. Like, outside – I mean, relatively speaking, you know, big leagues is – I'd rather get an inning in the big leagues than an inning in the minor leagues. But, you know, like, in terms of just competing and guys that you really love – because that, that was really early in the year and we had a – you know, there's something about spring training that brings guys together really close, even if it's, you know, an entirely different bunch of guys. Um, like Applin wasn't with us before that. Wyatt wasn't with us before that. Um, and the list goes on. I mean, there was pretty much a whole new team, which is how AAA is. But, um, you know, like that's the group that we really grew, grew close with. And then towards, you know, by the time it gets to the end of the season, half of the teams in the big leagues, half's, half's on another minor league team, half taking an option. A couple of them are over overseas. Um, you know, the roster changes so much. So that, that group that you grew really, really close with in spring training was all there for that moment. And um, especially Applin, the guy that everybody loves, Andrew Applin. And he, he had a rough go of it early on there. And uh, for him to be the guy to do it was really, really cool. And, and like, just I remember watching the video and just seeing, like, I, I watched it probably 10 times on Instagram because I wanted to watch everybody at home plate's reaction. Um, <laughs> of just how excited it was. And it was like, that's like a little league reaction. Like we weren't, yeah. we didn't get, we didn't get paid anymore for winning that game. We didn't get anything other than the, the satisfaction of like winning that game. And what was it probably in, in May, my guess would be. That was and, late April. Yeah. Yeah. Late April, early May. Like we won a game in April or May. It's not going to win us the championship. Right. It's another game. And it just shows like how much winning was really, really, really cool to us. And that that's something that you don't always get in, in professional baseball. So, that was that was refreshing. I even sent it over to Tim and said this was pro 
I sent him a DM with the message or with the video saying like, this was arguably the, the coolest uh, experience of my career just because of, you don't see nine point nine nine run. Uh, I just said nine point, like it's basketball nine run. Uh, you don't see nine run comebacks like that very often. So that was, that was easily my favorite game of the year last year. Yeah, I don't even know if I got a hit in that game. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a sport that turns grown men professional athletes back into little boys at one yeah. little crack of the bat uh kevin crone slugger with the diamondbacks organization we really appreciate your time man you and your wife stay safe enjoy the pool and uh we can't wait to see you back out on the field uh, as much as selfishly we'd like to see you in reno i know all of us would also more so like to see you in phoenix i appreciate it thank you guys for having me thanks kevin we'll have much more coming up here on nsn daily right after this Welcome back into NSN Daily. Uh, we've had a really great chance to catch up with a lot of University of Nevada coaches, staff, athletes, and uh, women's soccer coach Aaron Odagaki joining us right now. Uh, Aaron, uh, first off, how are you dealing with basically the new reality for right now, and uh, how you been getting through it? Well, I have I have new pets. I adopted these like birds. There's these scrub jays that come every day, and I like and figuring out how to feed them and take care of them. So I think that's my new norm. I look out. I have breakfast. Um, and I'm, I'm watching these scrub jays and they're kind of my adopted new pets. So that's been kind of fun. <laughs> How did you get to become friendly with them? They just showed up randomly? Yeah, or? they like fly in and they sit down and then and now they expect certain treats. So they don't want, they don't want, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but they don't want, I bought them bird seed and it's supposed to be the healthy bird seed for them. And they don't want that. They want like nuts, like cashews and those kind of things. But I heard or I read that was really fattening. So you shouldn't give them too many um, uh, fattening like nuts or you should give them more of those bird seeds. So they don't really want that. So they come, they act are picky and they come and they fly and they're like, mm, I don't want that. So they wait around for when I throw out cashews. So yeah, I've kind of adopted new pets, I guess. Maybe that, that's the reason why the doves out in front of my house are all, they're all built like cantaloupes. We just <laughs> too many people feeding them cashews. Yes. Maybe that's See, it. That's the problem with us. We've got this little stray cat that keeps coming around and we'll feed a little, a little cat food. We had some leftover chicken, give it some chicken. Now the cat every day wants chicken. So, yeah, see? Um, yeah. It's our own fault. As, yeah. as I spoil we're those spo birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're spoiling them. Uh, Coach, it's been a good couple of weeks. For you, adding players, can you go through some of the players that you've been able to uh, to add to the roster? Yeah, we had a couple early um, signings in the fall, and that one of them was a um, a, a local product, uh, Lauren Muff, who we're really excited about. Um, she is from Galena, that area, and she's a midfielder, and she's super, um, I think, uh, versatile. And that's what we like about her the most is that she's able to play many different positions. I think in club she plays uh, center mid, but she can also play as a center back, and I, we can also see her sliding in as a as a wide back. Um, so Lauren is a kid that I think in terms of culture building is someone that we're super excited about, um, will always be fit, is an engine, kind of that engine in the midfield or engine in the back that, that's not going to stop working. Um, so we're very excited to add a local, um, a local soccer player, um, as well as we have one other kid from Arizona who was an early signee. Um, her name is Maddie Marr, and she's from Arizona, center back, um, good height, um, is dominant in the air. Um, and in the college game, winning balls in the air is really important. Um, and she comes in with a lot of, um, I guess, tenacity. And she likes to win balls and dominate in the air. And that's kind of her go-to thing, what she hangs her hat on. Um, she's good defensively, wins it out of the air defensively, um, but also in corner kicks and set pieces. Being able to be there in the attack, she's about 5'8". Um, so she, we can, you know, post her up in, in, in front of the goal and, and, and target her. 
and I think she'll be, bring um, a new dimension to our um, our set pieces. And then you added, uh, you know, three more transfers and one high school player in this late period. How has recruiting been different? Um, you know, trying to get people to commit to you when you can't bring them <laughs> on visits, you can't see them face to face, when you got to do everything kind of over a computer. I think with a couple of the kids that we had, we had started recruiting luckily prior to all of this happening. Um, and so we were talking to them before, which, which helped out a ton. Um, and then um, because we had a prior relationship with them, we kept it going. And then a lot of the other coaches throughout the department at Nevada have helped with kind of like virtual tours or those kind of things um, that can, you know, help us uh, let them see our school. Um, and so I think that has been really nice. And, and uh, but I would say definitely the prior relationships we've had with them. Um, and I've known um, so one of them in particular through, we recruited her out of Canada uh, prior to um, her going to another school. Um, and then when she was in the transfer portal, again, we reached out back out. Um, and because we had known her before and we knew the club coach, um, that connection was made. Um, and it was a little bit easier, um, even though we weren't able to get her to campus. I mean, annually, you guys have the first sporting event of the year for the Wolfpack, usually in late August, sometimes mid-August with an exhibition game. Uh, soccer is not a game that you can just come out and you go and play. You can't run around with 90 minutes without training. When would you guys really have to start, you know, practice and being able to train as a team uh, to be able to start with your normal, you know, kind of late August uh, season beginning? Yeah, I mean, usually, are you talking about like being, being uh, fit enough and being healthy enough to yeah, I mean, just I, I, mean yeah. I know they've talked about like in football, they need, you know, minimum of four weeks, but probably eight weeks of practice time before they feel, uh, you know, safe putting their players out there. Um, so it's kind of an earlier time frame than just, oh, no, are we ready to play in September? I guess for your team, how much practice do you feel like you need to be able to safely put your team out on the field for those late August games? Yeah, I mean, I think we start August, you know, beginning of August, August 5th. So traditionally, we usually only get about two weeks, two and a half weeks before we're thrown into our first game. Um, obviously, I think I, ideally, yeah, I mean, it would be, uh, you know, a couple months prior to that, you know, um, because they work th all throughout the summer, you know, that's kind of their time to work out throughout the summer prior to hitting fall camp and then fall camp happens and it's about two weeks before our first game. So it would be nice to have, you know, about two months, two and a half months to really get them fit. Um, that's mostly for injury prevention to make sure that they're safe getting out there, that they're not, you know, we're not throwing them up into, you know, 90 minutes of running and they're not prepared to do 90 minutes of running, like you guys said. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the more amount of time that the summer would be an excellent time to have them on campus and being able to, you know, lift weights, be with our strength and conditioning coach, um, getting fit. Um, and then, you know, two and a half weeks of, of preseason, you know, where they're kicking the soccer ball continuously, you know, um, having, having um, soccer related activities, those kind of things would be ideal. But, you know, yeah, I think it's like everybody else. It's like, what? I, I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of everything's up in the air. And I think that's the hard part. Um, for, for student athletes and staff and administrators is it's trying to figure out how to keep everybody safe and healthy. Once this thing does blow over and get, and we do get past it, I, I think, and we've talked with uh, multiple coaches about this. I think one of the things you're going to find out is how disciplined a team or a program has been behind the scenes. And it's going to show on the field. How have you been able to keep your team motivated, keep your team, all right, stay mentally fit, stay physically fit and, and go through, routine when when they you know they're not being disciplined by a coach right in front of them they have to do it at home yeah I think that's hard right I mean I think it's hard to ask college kids to stay disciplined especially when it's like so unknown it's probably a little bit scary for them too right like what 
what's going to happen, like how school's all online. And I know that's been hard. I mean, they transition from being in class every day to being online. And I, you know, a lot of them have voiced concerns of like, it's just different. It's just really, really hard to not go to a physical class and take notes. And some of them really like that. Some of them like being able to take notes and now it's, everything's, you know, virtual and, and how do they handle that? So there's a lot on their plate, you know, with transitioning from in person to online um, and then dealing with how do I make a schedule? They're used to going to practice and then they have train, you know, um, uh, training table and then they have this and that and this and that. And then they go to, oh, wow, no one's checking in. There's no, all these resources and they're kind of, the world's kind of spinning, you know? So I think for them is trying to figure out like, how do I manage that daily, you know, that daily schedule? And I think some, some athletes have, have probably figured it out and some are still probably struggling. And that's the hard thing as coaches is we want to be there to, you know, that face-to-face contact of, okay, how do you make a schedule? How do you do those things? And so, uh, you know, for us in our program, we've been calling them and, and checking in on them, you know, once, once a week, um, just to make sure that they're doing okay. That, that if they need something or they, they want to talk about it, you know, whether it's that they're scared about, are we going to have a season? Um, whether how they're doing in classes, I think, um, so connecting with them on a personal level, I think is, is super important because some of them just are scared. And, and understandably so. And I think that's, you know, our job as coaches is to make sure that they, they feel comforted in that and trying to figure out how they manage their daily life so that they can attack those things, right? Like training and- Any new hobbies or anything like that? I know, I mean, obviously you're still checking in with your student athletes, recruiting. I know your distance learning as a mom. Uh, have you done anything kind of outside of your normal routine just with a little more free time? Bike riding. I've never been a real big biker and I had right before everything had started to happen, I bought some bikes. And so I've been biking, which is totally new and where I live, it's kind of hilly. So, you know, I'm kind of doing hills and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's, 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 it's hardcore. I mean, I, I can, now I understand why bikers are like, man, they have the helmet on, they like are going and I, I just watch them and I'm like, man, I mean, it's, it's a good workout. It's a really good workout. Coach, we appreciate your time. Best of luck in, in getting Thanks. through this as we all are. And, Can't wait to see you guys back out on the pitch, uh, hopefully sometime in the fall. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Aaron Odagaki joining us right here on NSN Daily. We have much more coming up right after the break. Welcome back in NSN Daily. Shannon Kelly and Chris Murray here, joined with one of the most decorated Wolfpack women's basketball players in program history, Delena Kreiner. She is currently one of many first responders working down in Las Vegas on the front lines with Las Vegas Fire and Rescue. Delena, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. How have things been down there and what's been the community's response? Oh, of course. Uh, thank you for having me today. Uh, it's been uh, pretty challenging down here. You know, we're just continuing to adapt on a daily basis, you know, just making sure that uh, us, uh, you know, first line personnel are safe as well as serving our community because uh, at the end of the day, this is pretty much what we signed up for. What are some of the precautions you guys are taking to make sure you are staying safe? I, I mean, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough I get to stay in my home and I don't have to go into the, you know, front lines. But, uh, you know, thank you for your service first and foremost. But what are you guys kind of trying to do to make sure you guys are as safe as possible? Uh, the biggest thing is just pretty much at trying to limit our exposure, right? So uh, when we're coming in contact with patients, uh, initially they don't know if they have it. We don't know. We don't know if they have it. So we're just going to assume that they do have it. So we're making sure that we're in a, the proper uh, uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, we're wearing our mask, and uh, sometimes if we have to wear a gown, but definitely just uh, our our equipment is just pretty much going to separate us from hopefully getting exposed to anything that's uh, to a severe state. 
what's it been like now? Cause you've been in Las Vegas, you said for about six years, what's it been like just with the strip closed downtown, pretty quiet, just the streets are empty. Vegas is a pretty busy town. Yeah, you know, uh, we thrive pretty much off of tourists and people coming to visit and uh, di different uh, shows being, you know, uh, going on throughout the just the year, you know. And now that we're having sports teams, things were definitely starting to roll in a different different avenue for Vegas. But, you know, with the, the whole COVID situation, uh, a lot has drastically stopped and rightfully so. But uh, it's kind of funny you ask that. I, I drove down on Saturday night, actually, last Saturday. And uh, I told my brother that this is the first and last time you're ever gonna see the strip empty. You know, there, it doesn't matter if it's a Tuesday morning, you know, the strip is always packed. So just continuing to adjust and uh, make sure that we're still doing what we signed up for. You know, like I said, at the end of the day, we signed up to uh, serve and be here for the public, whether that's tourists or our own local residents. Do you feel a lot of tension down there? I mean, obviously the governor of Nevada and the, the mayor of Las Vegas are at odds. They have very different opinions on what the path forward should be. I mean, is that pretty, even split down in Vegas? Or do you see most people kind of trying to adhere to what Governor Sislak is telling them to do? Um, I believe people are honestly trying to use to the best of their ability common sense. Uh, we were learning from other states and how they're reacting and uh, how they're responding to different things and what happens, right? So we know what would happen if, you know, we were to open up early and things like that. Uh, we per se don't have an individual voice. Uh, we just support whatever, you know, the governor and the uh, mayor are saying, but are gonna make an individually wise decision. Uh, I'm sure, you know, people are talking amongst people and family and making the decision that's going to be best for them. And uh, like you stated earlier, you know, you staying home is actually just doing your part right there, you know, in itself. And that, that definitely means a lot, you know, just trying not to uh, expand that exposure and the ability for it to just be traveling amongst who we don't even know or who we do know. When did you move down to Las Vegas and, you know, what made you decide to move down there? Um, I moved down to Las Vegas about maybe uh, six years ago, a little bit over six years ago, and uh, it was after I was done playing basketball, and I told myself, you know, I'd stayed in Reno for a little bit of time, and uh, I was uh, over California for the most part, so I was deciding between Las Vegas and Houston, and uh, just a general feeling, I, I went with Vegas just because I thought the weather was a little bit different in Houston, even though it's extremely hot here, but uh, just something new and different I was looking for. What got you into this profession? I mean, you uh, played professional basketball. You had a chance in the WNBA as well. Uh, what kind of got you into fire and rescue? What's your favorite thing about the job? Oh, man, I, I feel like it's like a midlife crisis for myself. You know, honestly, uh, it's just something that totally changed. So, uh, you know, I went to school and I got my accounting degree. So I was an accountant for quite some time and even here in uh, Las Vegas. And uh, I remember working out at the gym and I would go to the gym pretty much every single day before I went to work. And there was this guy that uh, just kept bugging me and he kept saying like, hey, you know, you should be a firefighter. And I was like, yeah, you know, I've heard that before, but you know, I'm okay, I'm fine. And he constantly kept bugging me and asking me, you know, I should be a firefighter. And I finally gave in and I went to like an outreach and I got some information on it. And I was like, hmm, this might be a little bit interesting. So I took a couple classes and uh, got an associate degree in fire science actually. And I decided that uh, it's something that I definitely wanted to pursue. You know, playing basketball, you had that team camaraderie and, you know, that, uh, that ability to be held accountable and, you know, being responsible and also being able to interact with people. So I felt like it felt all the, felt all those uh, voids that I had pretty much. And uh, I just went to pursue it. What's been the most rewarding part of the job for you? Uh, rewarding is just the, the family aspect. You know, uh, we're going through this crisis right now, and this is the first that I've experienced in my lifetime. 
And the fact that we're there for each other in regards to uh, the fire brothers and fire sisters and stuff like that, and just the support that we give, you know, because uh, this is uh, kind of stressful, you know, continuing to go on calls and uh, respond to people that may be exposed to it and things like that, or even going into the hospitals and uh, transferring patient care. You know, we talk about a lot of different things and the experiences that we have. So being able to voice and being able to lean on somebody, I think is uh, very rewarding. You know, not many people have that opportunity to just, uh, you know, come together and express different ideas and still be, you know, calling each other family. I want to talk about your Wolfpack career a little bit. I mean, you were a great player. You're two-time uh, WAC Defensive Player of the Year, three-time uh, All-WAC First Team. You graduated first in steals in program history, second in free throws made, third in assists, fourth in scoring. You should be in the Nevada Hall of Fame. You were eligible last year. Hopefully this is the year they put you in. But what kind of do you remember most and enjoy most about your time playing basketball for the Wolfpack? Um, I think that uh, the opportunity that I received of just knowing that basketball is more than a game. You know, uh, and I, I would say that would go for any sports. You know, uh, you learn so many different aspects about yourself, uh, your teammates, others, and just that ability to adapt. You know, you're adapting to the referees, you're adapting to your coach and their style and ethics. Uh, you're adapting to your teammates, you know, whether they're going through something emotional or experiencing something, you know, with life. So being able to have those different things and add it to my toolkit, I think that's the best thing that I experienced with uh, Nevada. You know, there was a lot of different hardships, you know, with Kim Jeffersonian, um, the passing of a lot of family relatives for her and uh, going through that experience, uh, a lot of the ups and downs with winnings, uh, different teammates maybe transferring or transferring in. So I think that just that uh, melting pot of different things that basketball brought uh, was just an amazing experience that I had in college. You've been able to watch the program over the years through Coach Albright, who was your coach your senior year, and now with Coach Levins at the helm. How kind of interesting has that been for you because Coach Levins was on staff when you were still at Nevada? Yeah, it's uh, it's been great. You know, uh, I'm, I'm definitely a true supporter of uh, um, Nevada Reno. I, I definitely, you know, highly dislike UNLV. Uh, I choose not to go to any of their games, you know, unless, you know, Nevada's playing them. But uh, it's kind of funny, you know, it's a joke in the firehouse. You know, I refuse to wear red, do anything with red. It's crazy that how that's still instilled in me after all these years. But um, it's amazing just to see the journeys, you know, the, like I said, the different coaching aspects and things like that. I still go out and support. I try to come up to, you know, Reno every, like, maybe once or twice a year. Uh, I definitely go to the games when they're in the Bay Area and also when they're out here. So uh, being able to just connect to the girls and um, – Definitely the coaching staff has uh, been a true blessing, you know, but uh, it's, it's great to just see them continuing to excel, especially with Levins as a head coach now. You know, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to witness and uh, be a part of because I think she instilled a lot of uh, the characteristics that I have today while I was in college, and uh, I owe her a lot and uh, a, a lot of thanks for that. How does that go over in the firehouse not wearing the red? They, they, they cool with that? Man, it's kind of crazy because uh, there's like maybe three or four different departments here in the Vegas Valley, and uh, our colors are pretty much primarily red. And uh, I'd, I'd do anything but to wear anything red, you know, but our uniform is blue, which is amazing. So I could, I could wear that proudly every single day. Any hobbies you've picked up in this downtime, or is it just as busy for you? I mean, you're probably not, uh, you know, in the same situation as a lot of people where they're kind of looking for things to do and board. But uh, I guess, how are you feeling your time when you, when you have free time? Yeah, we pretty much uh, work a two-day on schedule and four days off. So we work 48-96. And uh, at first, it was a little nerve-wracking, you know, trying to fill that time in, in voids and things like that. 
Um, right now, it's just like, like you said, you know, just trying to stay safe for the most part. Uh, specifically at this moment, I'm uh, actually going to school for a paramedic. So I am actually attending school online virtually at the moment. Um, it's definitely been busy in regards to, you know, studying and doing different assignments and homeworks and quizzes and things like that. So it hasn't been too stressful at, at the moment. Are you still involved with basketball at all? Or are you coaching too? I mean, you're pretty busy with school and work, I can assume, but are you still playing? Do you play in any pickup leagues or anything? Man, I think that's how this uh, this interview came all about. I'm actually, uh, I play in like an old lady league, I call it out here. And uh, they were actually, they're pretty involved in the community and they uh, actually took a picture of me and they asked if they could post it on social media. And I'm like, well, I don't have social media, but you can do whatever you want with it, that's fine. So they did that, and then somebody from Nevada reached out to them and asked if they use a picture, and then it was just pretty much a snowball effect from there. So, you know, it actually made me give a little second glance and think of, like, maybe I should be on social media or at least one platform. But, you know, so I do participate in uh, Old Lady League, but the primary thing is just actually to step out on the court and just uh, get a little conditioning, cardio in, and uh, stay safe. So you're MVP of the league for sure, right? Uh, pretty much every season. <laughs> <laughs> Delaney Kreiner, Wolfpack women's basketball, former student athlete here at Nevada. Thank you for your service. Good luck with school and stay safe down there. And then we hope to see you back up here in Reno soon at the Hall of Fame dinner. Oh, great. That would be great. Thank you so much for your time. We'll be right back with more of NSN Daily right after this. Welcome back to NSN Daily. You know, it's, a, it's become such a great tradition for us to be able to showcase our backyard uh, for you. And Alex Margulies is, is, is our biggest uh, explorer, if you want to say, uh, when it comes to getting outside. Chris is a big hiker. I like going up and getting mud on the tires, but Alex is our exploring, our backyard guy uh, when it comes to it. Alex, you wanted to go to Sardine Lake this time, but it didn't work out, but it did work out. Explain. Yeah, so uh, the, the title of this week's story is How I Accidentally Ended Up at Smith Lake. Yeah, I was supposed to go to Sardine Lake. There's Upper and Lower Sardine, a really beautiful setting uh, in the Plumas National Forest. It, it backs up to the Sierra Buttes, which is very different than a lot of the, the mountainous areas. It's very jagged and kind of a different terrain. I really enjoy going there, um, bringing the paddle boards and, and hanging out. But about two-thirds of the way there, the, the, the road was closed. It was completely covered in snow. It hadn't been plowed. I was shocked. Uh, and, you know, so there was a, kind of that moment of, of disappointment of, damn, we just drove at least an hour here and not going to get to go to where we wanted to go. And, you know, it's funny because on the way there, I talked about, you know, there's probably 150 lakes within like a mile radius of where we were. And I was kind of talking about they're everywhere. So I said, you know what, let's go check out a different lake. So uh, we were driving back to the main road. We saw a sign that said Smith Lake. We thought, what the hell? Uh, we pulled over and, and uh, found an, a really easy trailhead. It said it was a mile long, which was, all right, cool. That's doable. Not going not gonna to kill us. So we did the mile trek up to the top of this little mountain. And at the top of this was this beautiful little alpine lake called Smith Lake. And we had a great little afternoon there. It's funny, Chris, in, in our area where all you have to do is kind of follow signs once in a while. And, and, and it's so simple. It kind of takes you back to maybe our fathers and how they got to explore northern Nevada, northern California is follow a sign once in a while and just have a little faith. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny how it works now. I mean, you could just go to your phone and go and pull something up. I remember, you know, camping as a kid and you literally have a map and you're like pulling it up, like how difficult it would have been just to get around and to explore then. And sometimes you just fall into happy accidents where you end up at this place that maybe you weren't looking for, but is just as beautiful and more beautiful than the destination you were looking for. So, uh, you know, I grew up hiking a lot. We would go in the Bishop area, we'd go June Lake, Virginia Lake. So, um, yeah, I, I would I would go out a ton uh, as a kid. It's some of my fondest memories. And, you know, I hope that the campgrounds will be open here pretty soon so we can go out and do some stuff at Boca or Stampede and still be safe so I love being out in nature as well and that is one of the best parts is when you do find a new place that you weren't really looking for and you're able to kind of add that to your list of destinations for the future. Yeah some of my fondest memories growing up my dad and I you know packing up the old Chevy pickup and towing the bass boat around to New Hogan, Don Pedro, uh, Amador Lake, uh, Salt Valley Springs and going fishing and those early excursions and you know it, it's something that we need to pass mm -hmm. on to this next generation uh, because I, I hope we're not losing it I really hope we're not losing that contact that you know sort of exclusivity of going outside and being alone and being yeah. on the water and, and being able to be in touch with nature and we're we're very lucky uh, all of us have so many friends in the business that work basically in forests that are sky high you know towers in skyscrapers and we're lucky enough here on the West Coast, uh, yeah. especially in to be able to get out and do that. I, th I think our like the, yeah, I think the two things like spontaneity is great sometimes, guys. And then, you know, the most popular place doesn't have to always be the best destination. You know, sometimes right. it's cool to go find something that's off the beaten path and there's no one there and you have the whole place to yourself. And to think of that there's hundreds and thousands of lakes and rivers and streams. It doesn't always have to be Lake Tahoe. That's what you're seeing. Like Sand Harbor is always packed right now. Go explore somewhere right. else. There's plenty of great, great places to go take a swim and get some sun and, and be outside. Yeah, go up and check out the little trucky at the backside uh, of Stampede Reservoir. You can back your truck right up to it and camp right there. It's, it's amazing. Exploring our backyard. Check it out on our website, NevadaSportsNet.com. Welcome back to Anderson Daily. It's Thursday. That means bets or no bet. What does our panel think of a certain topic or subject? Will we bet on it? or just throw it in the trash. Uh, guys, this has been a big topic for a long time. Now, the NCAA could be one step closer to compensating athletes for their name, their likeness, their image. Uh, the Board of Governors this week actually is supporting a rule change that would let athletes get paid, allowing them to get uh, compensated from a third-party company for product endorsement, public appearances, social media content, without interfering with the NCAA. Now, the word slippery slope, always come up on this Alex let's start with you uh bet or no bet um I know where I stand on this and I'm very strong with it that athletes should be compensated because they're getting the scholarship and that's about it and there's a ton of money going in another direction what do you think I think you have to bet this I mean I I agree that athletes right now the, the system is broken you know I don't know exactly how to fix this system but the current deal of going to college and playing for free outside of getting a scholarship, which is valuable and very valuable to a lot of people. I'm not trying to discount the value of the education, what it provides for a lot of people, but there are players that are, are making millions and millions and millions of dollars for their respective institutions. And they may not profit a dollar off of that. Let, you know, let's say you're an amazing quarterback in college and then you blow out your knee in your final game and you never play in the NFL well, you've gone and made all this money and done all this athletic greatness and you've made nothing out of it uh, except for the education side of it. So I think that this is a great step in the right, uh, a step in the right direction. 
Uh, I do agree that the word slippery slope is going to, it is going to be a slippery slope and you have to kind of figure out ways to define how to do this properly. But I do think that this is a good step, a very necessary step uh, for college athletics. Now, Chris, you're always our stat man. Give me some numbers. I know you got some numbers in that large brain, bulbous brain of yours. It's on my screen, actually, not in the brain. <laughs> but, like, let's look at Texas football, for example. They made $156 million in revenue in fiscal year 19 alone. They only spent $43 million on football with coaching salaries and things like that. So you're talking about a net profit of $113 million, and you're telling me that you can't pay the players? I feel like simply giving them name, image, likeness like Olympic athletes have is the very minimum the NCAA can do. They should actually be paying these student athletes. Uh, and I know it's not possible in a place like Nevada, but at the Power 5 level, it is possible when you're getting $40 million in TV contracts and you're selling out $100,000 or 100,000 capacity stadiums. So uh, I, I know people throw out a slippery slope, but why was it not a slippery slope when John Calipari and Coach K and Urban Meyer and Dabo Sweeney make $10 million a year? Like, mm -hmm. not a slippery slope when you're giving the money to the coaches, but when when you're yep. trying to give some money to the players who are out there hurting themselves, um, you know, being the product on the field, then it's a slippery slope. It's just funny to me because now we're seeing how essential these guys are. Uh, you know, the, the colleges have said that they're not essential employees, that they're not employees at all. But now that they might not be able to play this year, the NCAA is trying to do whatever they can to get them on the field. They are super essential and they should be getting some kind of revenue. My only counter to that, Chris, is 19-year-old college athlete, man in his mid-40s is a businessman and a coach. Uh, I would not wanted to have seen myself at 19 years old walking around with a ton of cash in my pocket. That would have been an implosion. We've talked about the possibility of maybe this goes into a savings account. Maybe at the end of their four-year career, they've got a 401k that's got a ton of money in it already. Maybe money that they can access to buy a house, a small business loan, something like that. But we've had so many interns that have said, I don't have the money at the end of the week after my stipend. I paid my rent and I don't have money to go out to dinner, to go out to a movie, to go out and have fun. I get it. I think they ought to be paid, but we need to be very, very careful, I think, about regulating this. Well, some final thoughts here on NSN Daily right after this. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily, I want to thank Kevin Crone for coming on the show. We wish him the best. Aaron Odagaki with Nevada Soccer. And, of course, Delana Kreiner, former Nevada basketball player, is now on the front lines as a first responder. Exploring our backyard, want to check it out, go to our website. That's nevadasportsnet.com. For Alex Margulies and Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Anthony Resnick keeping us between the lines. You would be surprised what he has to tell us when we're not on air because we screw things up quite a bit. I'm Brian Samudio. We'll see you next time.